Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now after three years, five flight instructors and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot Audio Ground School Podcast. Hey, 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 welcome in future pilots. My name is Nick and this is the Part-Time Pilot Audio Ground School, again, where I go through all our lessons in the online ground school in audio format, completely for free on your favorite podcast app. So let's cut to the chase today and continue on section six of the online ground school. And again, if you're following along, Go to my courses in your student dashboard. Click on step two, online ground school, private pilot lessons. Those not in the online ground school who are wondering why is there multiple steps. So we do step one. We kind of figure out where your knowledge is at, give you a checklist, try and make things more efficient for you, especially we get a lot of people coming over from other online ground schools. And then step two is all the lessons, videos, quizzes. Step three, we have you take some practice tests and then we give you a report on those practice tests. And then after that, we give you your endorsement. So we're in step two course. That's the online ground school private pilot lessons and section six on national airspace system. And we're on lesson five today, which is class D airspace. Last episode, we covered class Bravo and class Charlie, class B and class C airspace. Today, we're going to get into class Delta and class Echo and maybe even class Golf. Not sure. We're going to do is the same thing we've done the last few episodes. We're going to throw in some quiz questions for you guys because this is a lot of information in the airspace section. You got to remember the weather minimums, the equipment requirements, the airspeed requirements in each of these airspaces. So we're going to do these quizzes at the end. And then we're even going to do probably a bonus episode where we review it all. That's what we do in the online ground school so that it can help solidify these things in your noggin so that you can remember them for, you know, flying your training and for the FA written exam. So without further ado, let's get to class D class Delta airspace, an airport, which has an operating control tower, but does not provide radar services as in a class B or class C airspace is surrounded by a class D airspace. So an airport, which has an operating control tower, but it doesn't provide air radar services as in class Bravo or class Charlie is going to be a class Delta or class D airspace. Class D airspace towers provide VFR traffic advisories and VFR IFR separation. Operators or pilots inside Class D airspace must establish two-way radio communications with ATC before entering Class D airspace and maintain communications while inside the airspace. Again, that's still the same as Class Bravo and Class Charlie. You have to maintain two-way radio comms with ATC. So these are all controlled airspaces, Class Bravo, Class Charlie, Class Delta. These are the controlled airspaces that you as a private pilot are going to encounter. A controlled airspace means it has a controlling ATC agency that you've got to talk to and able to 
in order to enter and operate within it. Class D is still that airspace, although it doesn't have the radar services that a Class C or Class B does. If a Class D airspace has a tower which does not have continuous operation, that's 24-7 operation where someone's attending it, they got ATC in the tower, and you can contact it at all hours, then the airspace becomes a Class Echo or Class E airspace or a combination of Class E and Class G, which again we'll get to in the next lessons, when the tower is not operational. So for example, if the tower is operational from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., let's say, then from the hours of after 8 p.m. to before 8 p.m. To, to midnight and then midnight to, to 8 a.m., the tower is not, no one's at the tower. ATC is not there. The tower is not operational. That class D would then revert to a class E or class G, whatever is surrounding it on the chart. And again, we'll, we'll get to how to read class echo and class G and understand how to know what airspace it will be when the class D is no longer valid in the next couple lessons. But so how do you find out if your class or your, yeah, your class D airport tower is operational 24 seven or not? Well, you can look in the chart supplement or AFD for that airport. That is something you want to get handy at using. It's got a lot of information for your airport. You can search for it online or you can buy the book and get it there. You can also, you know, get it on your ForeFlight or whatever on your iPad. So you're going to want to look through there, make sure the tower is operational 24 seven. If not, figure out when those hours are. And that way, you know, when, when it's the class D is operational or not. All right. With that said, uh, what are the minimum weather requirements? You know, we talked about it for class Bravo is three touching miles visibility, clear clouds, for class Charlie, it was still three statue miles visibility, but now the cloud clearance changed to 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, and 2,000 feet horizontal from clouds. So what is class D? Well, class D is the same exact thing as class E. Three statute miles visibility and 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, 2,000 feet horizontal distance from clouds. Hopefully I said 500 feet below the first time. I've been, for some reason today, I've been saying 5,000 feet below instead of 500. So 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, and 2,000 feet horizontal. Now, when we get to the review, we're going to talk about some ways to remember how to remember these things. These cloud clearances, when it's 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, and 2,000 feet horizontal, people like to call that 152 or the 152s. Since it's the same in class C and class D, it's something that, you know, you can just kind of remember as the 152. So the one is for the 1000, the five is for the 500 and the two is for the 2000 kind of gives you a, a good memory, memory aid. If you just think, remember it as 152. Other thing that I didn't mention in class Bravo and class Charlie is why visibility is in statute miles, right? Like we're always talking about nautical miles when we're talking about you know, knots airspeed is nautical miles per hour. When we talk about distances of cross-country flights, we talk about nautical miles per hour or nautical miles. So why statute miles? And I'm, I'm not sure if I mentioned this in a different episode or not, but the difference between nautical mile and statute mile is several hundred feet. There's an actual physical difference in the distance. And the reason is because a statute mile is what we're all used to, right? Miles per hour in a car, that's a statute mile. We're used to statute miles. Those are measured in straight lines. So a straight line. So for me to, let's say, Coronado Island here in San Diego, if I draw a straight line to that, it's going to be two statute miles or something like that across the water. So 
Statue miles are in a straight line. Nautical miles, because they are used for things that are over great distances, actually have to take into effect the curvature of the Earth. So if you were to draw a straight line from me to Australia, it would actually go through the surface of the Earth, right? A, a very straight line because the Earth is round. So a straight line would not work. So you have to kind of follow the curvature of the Earth, right? And the reason we call it nautical miles is because we actually invented these way long time ago for use on boats you know traveling overseas by boats you travel along and they kind of realized oh shoot it's not it's not the same thing we have to take in fact the curvature of the earth and it actually changes that number a bit so they came up with nautical miles and so when we fly when we fly distances we're flying long distances usually right so that's why we use nautical miles we take into effect the curvature of the earth but when we talk about visibility, we usually use visual references for visibility or we're looking straight down. If we're in an uh, aircraft and we're 2,000 feet above the ground, we're looking straight down to the ground. So that's a straight line. Or we're looking at a building, we're looking in a straight line. So we want to know the visibility in terms of straight lines. Like if I can see something that's one mile away from me in a straight line, the visibility is more than one mile. So it's just an easy way to... to talk about visibility we're not going to take into the curvature of the earth because we're not traveling we're looking in straight lines our eyes work in straight lines so that's why we talk about statue miles when we talk about visibility hopefully that makes sense for you guys so now that we've talked about the weather minimums what about the minimum pilot qualifications remember class bravo it was either a private pilot or if you're a student pilot you had to have an endorsement from your instructor to fly in class bravo for class charlie it was just a student pilot you could just be a student pilot you could solo in there in a class charlie for class delta it's again a student pilot so the only airspace other than class alpha a is you have to be ifr rated to be in class a we covered that a couple lessons ago and that's remember class alpha is above 18,000 feet so but other than that the only airspace that requires more than a student pilot that a student pilot can't fly solo in without something else is class bravo you need that endorsement from your instructor so class delta minimum pilot qualification a student pilot certificate all aircraft flying within a class d are also required to have an operating radio so now we're getting into the equipment and that, again that's for the two-way communications that you need with atc so you have to have an operating radio that's the same in class bravo and class charlie so nothing different there but there are no requirements for transponders within class d but i want to put a little asterisk on that because a class d might be within a mode c veil of a class bravo and remember a mode c veil you have to have a mode c transponder and adsb to in the mode c just because a class d does not require a transponder you might be in an area close to class bravo or something that requires you to have a transponder and that's why we have a separate section on transponder requirements coming up that we're going to talk about specifically for those so what's next how about how do we identify it on an aeronautical chart Class Bravo was solid blue lines. Class Charlie was solid magenta lines. Class D is dashed blue lines. So they're not going to be as thick as the solid blue lines. They're going to be a little bit thinner, and they're going to be dashed. So they're going to be made up of dashes. They won't be solid. That's what denotes a Class D airspace, and it's usually just a circle. So it usually just has a radius, and that's it. There's not going to be different angles and shapes that is designed for you know the incoming traffic and stuff like that. Those are specific to Class Charlie and Class Bravo airspaces. Class Delta is just a circle, and it's always a dashed blue line. 
So look out for those dash blue circles on your airspaces, on your aeronautical charts to denote a class D airspace. What's next? Well, the airspeed requirements. Remember, we talked about those for class B and class C. The only additional airspeed requirement in class D is when you're at or below 2,500 feet AGL and within four nautical miles of the primary airport, the airspeed limit is 2,000 knots. Now, we talked about that in class C as well. When you are below 2,500 feet within four nautical miles of a controlled airspace tower, the airspeed limit is 200 feet. So when you're close to that, the people getting in the pattern and landing, you they want to control your airspeed a little bit. All right. So those, again, we talked about the, the weather requirements. They're the same as class C, three statue mile of visibility, 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, and 2,000 feet horizontal from clouds. Minimum pilot qualification is student pilot certificate. You need an operating radio for two-way communications with ATC. And class D is marked by a dash blue line. And then the 200 nautical miles per hour airspeed requirement within four nautical miles of primary airport and below 2,500 feet AGL. Those are the things you got to remember for the class Delta. Now, one thing about kind of the stuff on the aeronautical charts I want to talk about, I have an example of a picture here of a class D airspace on an aeronautical chart. So if you're in the online ground school, go check out this lesson and you can see this example. Class D airspace ceilings on sectional charts are in terms of MSL, not AGL. In the figure below, you can see the class D airspace around Ramona Airport. This is in Southern California. RNM is the abbreviation for Ramona for the dashed blue circle. Inside the circle, you will see a, so in this example, you will see sort of a, a blue box with a minus three eight. This tells us that the class D airspace extends from the surface to 3,799 feet MSL. That's what the minus sign tells us. The minus sign signifies that the class D extends up to, but not including 3,800 feet MSL. So again, the ceiling is gonna be denoted in hundreds of feet MSL, just like we had for class B and class C, we had the floors and ceilings denoted in hundreds of feet MSL. However, in a class D, it's always gonna start at the surface. So there's no need to denote the floor. We know that it starts at the surface. So it's gonna denote just one number in hundreds of feet MSL for the ceiling and that number is usually in like a blue box and it, the numbers will be in blue and it could have a minus sign in front of it or it could not. If it doesn't have a minus sign in front of it, that means it includes, the class D includes that that final foot. So if it just said, had no minus signs, it said 38, we add two zeros because it's in hundreds of feet. So 3,800 feet, that's where the class D airspace would extend to. So if you were flying at three exactly 3,800 feet, you would be in that class D airspace. To get out of it, you would have to go up to 3,801 feet, and then you'd be out of the class D airspace. That's when it doesn't have a minus sign. When it has that minus sign, it means it does not include that 3,800th foot. So it extends to 3,799 feet. So again, if you're at 3,799 feet exactly, you'll be in the class D. If you go up to 3,800 feet though, you are no longer in the class D. So why would they do this? Well, they usually do this when there's an airspace above it. Now you might have a class Bravo where the floor is above it and they want the class Bravo to start at something like 3,800 feet. So they want the class D below that. And the way they do that is they put that minus sign. So again, we have an example of that here in the online ground school. Check that out. 
The, the last thing I want to mention on class D is the lateral dimensions of class D are based on the instrument procedures for which the controlled airspace is established. Usually it's just a radius and like I said, the airspace is just a circle, but that radius and the lateral dimensions are based on the instrument procedures for which the controlled airspace is established. So most of the class D airspaces I know are just a, a radius with a circle, but I think there are some that, that aren't a, a complete circle. Actually, I'm pretty sure there are, but most commonly there are just that circle. So, all right, so with that, said let's do a couple quiz questions to help you guys remember this stuff hopefully um, solidify it for you first one true or false two-way radio communications with atc are required before entering a class d delta airspace true or false two-way radio comms with atc are required before entering a class d airspace i'll give you guys a couple seconds all right so the answer is true two-way radio comms with atc are required before entering a class d airspace now before i kind of explain that let's go to the next one what happens to class d airspace if the tower closes for the day a operations in the airspace are suspended meaning you can't go in there b it turns into a class e airspace or c nothing happens give you guys a couple moments to to think about that one All right, so when a class D airspace tower closes for the day, it B turns into a class E or class G airspace. So option B is correct. Now what's changing here is, so technically class E is still controlled. I may have mentioned, I was talking about class Bravo, Charlie and Delta kind of as the ones that are controlled. What I meant by that earlier is I may have misspoke on that. Class E is technically considered controlled. So the controlled airspaces are class Bravo or class Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, and Echo, and then uncontrolled is class Golf. But what I meant was the class Bravo, Charlie, and Delta are the ones where you have to maintain communications with ATC. So when you go from class D to class E, there are still some rules. So there's still some control, which we'll get into in the next lesson, but you don't have to talk to ATC. You don't need permission from ATC to enter the airspace. So that is the difference. All right, let's see here. Let's do another one. The minimum visibility for VFR flight within a class D airspace is what? A, at least one statute mile, B, at least three statute miles, or C, at least five statute miles. The minimum visibility for VFR flight. Remember, it was the same as class Charlie. What is the minimum visibility for VFR? A, one statute mile, B, three statute miles, or C, five statute miles. Okay, the answer is B, three statue miles. That is the same as class Bravo and class Charlie for visibility. So they're all three statue miles. It helps, makes things a little bit easier to remember. Now, what is the minimum cloud clearance for VFR flight within a class D airspace? Is it A, clear of clouds, B, 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, and 2,000 feet horizontal? Or is it C, 1,000 feet above, 1,000 feet below, and one statute mile horizontal distance from clouds? Remember, the cloud clearance and the visibility of class D is the same as class C. They're different than class Bravo. Class Bravo was clear of clouds for its clearance requirements. Class D is a, option B, which is 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, and 2,000 feet horizontal. Remember I mentioned that 152? You can remember that for class C and class D because they're the exact same in terms of visibility and cloud clearance. So three statue miles and 152, 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, 2,000 feet horizontal. If you remember 152 and then you remember it's above, below, horizontal, you, I think you can figure out the rest. All right, let's do one more. 
When at or below 2,500 feet AGL and within four nautical miles of the primary airport in a Class D airspace, what is the airspeed limit? A, 200 knots, B, 250 knots, or C, 300 knots? All right, so this isn't specific to class D because we had this for class C as well. It's basically when you're 400 nautical miles of a tower, primary airport, and below 2,500 feet AGL, the airspeed limit is A, 200 knots. So good job. Hopefully you guys got those right. Again, we're going to continue to review this stuff, but I think with this stuff, with the airspace stuff, it's good if you guys use these audio lessons to listen to it as much as possible to really dig it down deep into your brain and then you read the lessons in the online ground school and you even watch the videos that we have in the specifically in the review section where we will we have some review videos and some tips on how to memorize this stuff so try and consume it from different ways visually audible or the written word that's what we try and do with our online ground school stuff give you the information in multiple ways so that depending on how you learn best you can do that but also it helps click when you that's how i would always study i would read it i would write notes on it then i would watch a video on it or i would listen to it and by the time i got to the third format it was starting to click for me all right so let's go on to lesson six on class echo airspace but before we do, I want to take a quick break for a little note for you guys, and then we'll get on to lesson six. Hey, pilots, this is Nick again. Did you guys know that Part-Time Pilot now has a private pilot test prep book that you can buy on Amazon? It's a physical book that you can buy on Amazon to help prep for your FAA written exam. So it's like the other test prep books out there, you know, the Jepson, Asa, or the Gleam, Glime, however you pronounce it. It's just like those, but I called ours the ultimate private pilot test prep because not only does it give you a synopsis of each subject, like the cliff notes, like those other books do. And then it gives you FAA written questions to practice and quiz yourself on to, to prep for the test. But it also goes much, much further. And that's why we call it the ultimate private pilot test prep book. So for each subject, it also has a QR code so that as you're reading it, you if you want more information, you can scan the QR code on your phone or your tablet and it will immediately pull up a YouTube video that you can watch on the subject. There's also QR codes in there for additional downloads including FAA, PDFs, subject area checklists, and more PDFs for, from us that you can download for free. It also includes a coupon code and QR code where you can go enroll in online practice tests for free and receive the PDF version of the book completely free. All that is with Q simple, easy to use QR codes inside the book. And then we also, not only does it have the cliff notes of all the information, but it also includes mnemonic devices and visual aids, such as diagrams, tables, and images that are labeled, such as like a METAR that is labeled every single thing that is included and deciphered in the METAR or a TAF. Also the performance charts, step-by-step -step labeled steps on performance calculation charts. So it's not just cliff note bullet points, it's that plus much, much more. These visual aids 
all in 404 pages in the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep book, and it is only $37. So you can go check that out on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes, so go check it out. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Let's continue on with lesson six of section six on National Airspace System. This one, this lesson is on class Echo or class E airspaces. Class E airspaces have no communication requirement. So unlike class Bravo, Charlie, and Delta, you do not need to stay in contact with ATC. Class E airspaces you include Federal or Victor Airways, which normally extend four nautical miles on either side of the center line that is drawn on your aeronautical charts, and they're usually from 1,200 feet AGL to 17,999 feet AGL. So where you see those Victor or Federal Airways on your chart, that is class E airspace from four nautical miles on either side of that line from 1200 feet AGL to 17,999 feet MSL. Remember, class alpha starts at 18,000 feet MSL. Class E airspace generally extends, like I just said, just like the airways, from 1200 feet AGL to 17,999 feet MSL. So just below the 18,000 feet MSL class A floor. But sometimes the airspace will extend to the ground level or 700 feet AGL for its floor. And we'll talk about an example of where you can see that on the charts to know when it goes to the floor, when it starts at 700 feet AGL, sorry, when it goes to the surface, when it starts at 700 feet AGL, and when it starts at 1200 feet AGL. So what are the minimum weather requirements for VFR flight within Class E airspace? Remember we talked about Class Bravo, we talked about class C and class D airspaces being having the same weather minimums. Class Bravo was three statute miles clear of clouds. Class Charlie was three statute miles 152, 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, 2,000 feet horizontal, and class D was the same. So what is class E? Well, class E depends on at what altitude you're flying. And the that dividing altitude is 10,000 feet MSL. So when you're below 10,000 feet MSL, it's a visibility of three statute miles and 152. So it's the same as class C and class D when you're below 10,000 feet. When you go at or above, so 10,000 feet or above, the and you're in class E airspace, the VFR weather minimums are visibility of at least five nautical miles. So they want you to be able to be see further away so five it increases from three statue miles to five statue miles this is because aircraft are traveling a lot faster at those altitudes so they want you to have more visibility and then the the cloud clearance is a thousand feet above so that that's no different but a thousand feet below and one statute mile horizontal from clouds so that's the difference there. There's a few differences. Class C is the same as class C and D when below 10,000 feet, but at or above 10,000 feet, you have to have a visibility of five statute miles, and then you have to have 1,000 feet above, 1,000 feet below, and one statute mile horizontally from clouds. One way to remember this is you gotta remember the visibility changes to five, and you can think, okay, we're up higher, we're around faster aircraft, and we wanna have more visibility. So we can make a decision when we see traffic. And then you can remember, remember before we used 152, we can use 111 for this one. So you can shorten it and say, you know, five statute miles visibility and 111. And then that sort of abbreviates to 1,000 feet above, 1,000 feet below, and one statute mile horizontal from clouds. All right, so that's the VFR weather minimums. We'll do a couple questions on that to help solidify that for you in a sec. 
But what are the minimum pilot qualifications? Remember, again, Class Bravo was student pilot plus an endorsement from your instructor or private pilot. Class C and D was just student pilot. So you're fine flying solo in Class C and D without an endorsement. Class E is the same as Class C and D. So it's student pilot certificate. So now what this tells us is the only thing we have to remember here is that the minimum pilot qualification for C, D, and E is student pilot certificate. And for B, it's student pilot certificate plus an endorsement. All right, so now let's talk about the, the equipment. So we talked about the weather minimums, talked about the pilot qualification minimums. Now the equipment, how is that different than those other airspaces? Well, all aircraft flying within Class E airspace are required to have an operating radio for two-way communications with ATC four nautical miles upon entering the airspace if the airspace has an operating control tower. Otherwise, there are no communication or equipment requirements. Remember, that's the first thing I said when we started this lesson. There's no communication requirements unless, so the only caveat on this is you have to have two-way radio comms to communicate with ATC when you're four nautical miles upon entering an airspace. So when you're four nautical miles away and you're going into an airspace, you need to be able to talk to AC and communicate with them that you plan to enter and want to enter into that airspace. Otherwise, there are no communication or equipment requirements. So if you are flying around other airspaces or not flying near a airport with a control tower at all and you're in class c you remain in class e airspace you don't even have to have a radio it's not required that you have to have a radio and be able to communicate with atc so again that's sort of the differences between class bravo charlie delta and now echo echo is still considered controlled because there are some rules there's vfr weather minimum rules that we talked about but there's no atc control so there's no communication required with atc so that's kind of the difference between class echo and those others so how do we determine class echo on our aeronautical charts how do we determine whether we're going to be flying through it or not well class e airspace is marked by shaded magenta lines and dashed magenta lines and i'll tell you what the difference are here so so far we've dealt with you know the the thick blue lines of a class Bravo, the thick magenta lines of a class Charlie, and then the dashed skinny blue lines of a class Delta. Well, these are sort of a new type of line. It's an extra thick line, and the transparency of the line changes from one side to the other. So on one side of the line, it's a dark transparent, you know, there's little transparency and it's dark magenta. And then as you move to the other side within the line, within the thickness of the line, it becomes more and more transparent until you're, you have the most transparent on the other side. The way they do this is so that we can distinguish a difference between things on the most transparent side and things on the darker side. And I'll tell you what this means. The solid side of the line, so the, the darker side of the line, denotes the side with a floor of 1200 feet AGL. So you'll see the shaded magenta lines and the, all the area to the side of the darker side of the line is going to have class echo that starts at 1200 feet AGL. While everything on the light side, the most transparent side of the line is gonna have, is gonna be areas where class echo starts, has a floor of 700 feet AGL. So transparent side of the line, 700 feet AGL, dark side of the line, 1200 feet AGL. Now, in 
the online ground school in this lesson i have a picture of an aeronautical chart with a bunch of classy airspaces and i have inside of each area i have it labeled where the classy starts so that you can kind of look at it and kind of quiz yourself and be like all right where does it start here and it says it right there in a visual aid of of what it's saying so you can really see okay on the light side of the line the transparent side of the line it starts at 1200 and on the dark side it starts or sorry on the dark side it starts at 1200 on the light side or transparent side it starts at 700 so there's a visual aid in there go check that out if you're following along and now i did mention there's a skinny dashed magenta line this represents anything within contained within this so usually it'll be a a circle or some sort of containing shape everything on the inside of this tells you that class echo starts at the surface so now we have three different things, right? We have on the side of the dark shaded lines, the dark part of the shaded line. On that side, it starts, Class Echo starts at 1200 feet AGL. On the transparent side of that thick shaded line, it starts at 700 feet AGL. And then within there, you might see a dashed, an enclosed dashed, thin dashed magenta line. And inside that, Class Echo starts at the surface. Now. I'm trying to stumble through this in audio, so I apologize if I'm not making sense. The best way is to really look at that visual. And again, we're gonna review this stuff. So hang in there with me. That is what it is for class E. And again, check out that figure. But for now, that that's it. I'm just gonna review sort of everything we said, and then we'll get to some quiz questions. So no communication requirements for class E, unless of course you are plan on entering a airspace or a airport with a control tower and you're five, four nautical miles away from that, then you have to be able to contact ATC and have two-way comms with them. So you'd have to have operate, operating radio. Otherwise, no communication requirements. VFR weather minimums, the same as class C and D when below 10,000 feet, three statute miles, 152. At or above 10,000 feet, it changes to five statute miles and 111, which is 1,000 feet above, 1,000 feet below, and one statute mile horizontal from cloud and then finally the minimum pilot qualification is the same as for class c and d which is just a student pilot cert you don't need that endorsement like you do in class bravo and then class e is marked on aeronautical charts by a shaded magenta line and guinea dash magenta lines inside of the shaded magenta line on the side that's most transparent class e starts at 700 feet on the side that's darkest class e starts at 1200 feet and then inside the skinny dash magenta lines that's where class e starts at the surface all right let's get into now some quiz questions to hopefully solidify this a little bit more all right the first question is federal or victor airways operate under class e airspace regulations how far does the class e extend on either side of the airways is it A, one nautical mile, B, two nautical miles, or C, four nautical miles? I'll give you guys a few moments to think about this. All right, now the answer is C, four nautical miles on either side. So it's a total of eight nautical mile diameter for those Victor Airways, and they extend from 1,200 feet AGL to 17,999 feet MSL. Those Victor Airways are the sort of a, a band of class E. All right, let's move on to another one here. The minimum visibility for VFR flight within class E airspace under 10,000 feet MSL is what? A, one statute mile, B, three statute mile, or C, five statute mile. All right, the answer is B, three statute miles. 
Remember, it's the same as class C and D when we're under 10,000 feet MSL. It only changes when we're above, at or above 10,000 feet MSL because again, aircraft are traveling faster up there. We wanna have more visibility, so it changes up to five. So three statue miles is the correct answer for below 10,000 feet MSL. All right, the next one here is the minimum distance from clouds for VFR flight within a class E airspace at or above 10,000 feet MSL is what? A, clear of clouds, B, 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, and 2,000 feet horizontal, or C, 1,000 feet above, 1,000 feet below, and one statute mile horizontal. The minimum distance from clouds for VFR flight within a Class E airspace at or above 10,000 feet MSL is what? Clear of clouds, 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, 2,000 feet horizontal, 152, or 111, 1,000 feet above, 1,000 feet below, one statute mile horizontal. The answer is C, 111, 1,000 feet above, 1,000 feet below, and one statute mile horizontal. Again, it has to do with the aircraft speeds at those altitudes above, at or above 10,000 feet MSL. So we're gonna in increase those minimums a little bit. They're gonna increase the visibility requirement and they're gonna increase the cloud clearance requirements. Okay, let's see one more here. Uh, maybe two more. The more solid side of a class E boundary line on an aeronautical chart tells us that the class E airspace on that side has a floor of A, the surface, B, 700 feet, or C, 1200 feet AGL. The more solid side of a class E boundary line on an aeronautical chart tells us that the class E airspace on that side has a floor of the surface, 700 feet AGL, or 1200 feet AGL. All right, the answer on the solid darker side of the shaded magenta line, that's where it starts at 1200 feet AGL. If we're on the, the more transparent side, everything on that side of the line is gonna start at 700 feet AGL. Unless, of course, there is then a dashed magenta line and enclosed in that, that's where class E starts at the surface. All right, so we have a lot more quiz questions that require you to look at figures. And so we have these questions here, for example, like refer to this figure below the classy airspace at the number three circled in red has a floor and ceiling. What well, we actually have you look at the charts and tell us, okay, is this, what, what is the floor here? What are the floor and ceiling of classy airspace here? So really good quiz on this one. Actually, all these airspace ones where you have to look at the charts and we have those charts in there so you can just click them and they pop up. You can even do it on your mobile device too. So check that out if you're following along. We have, I think, 14 questions in this one that really help prepare you for the FA written exam and again, make this solidified in, in your noggins. So that has been class E airspace. We've covered class D. So we're gonna call it quits here. We'll get into class G or class golf. So class G is the uncontrolled airspace. And we'll get into that in the next episode. We've covered the controlled airspaces, class alpha through class E. We mentioned that the difference between class alpha through D and E is that you don't have to talk to ATC. And now we're going to class golf, which is even more, even less restrictive, should I say, as it is considered the uncontrolled airspace. So class G is uncontrolled. Whenever you hear uncontrolled, like in an FA written question, think class G. So we'll get into that in lesson seven. Lesson eight will be primary and satellite airports. That has a lot to do in understanding those, what airspace you sh are 
are operating in depending on on those airports and then we'll get into special use airspace and we'll probably do a bonus episode to review all this and then we'll even get into transponder requirements that are additional to the ones we talked about inside airspaces all right so thank you guys for listening i will see you next week and we'll finish uh, we'll try and finish up the section on national airspace system have a good week Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times. And then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time. Everything's great and dandy. But once you get into, you know, bad weather flying or flying at heavy, heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight, things get a little more advanced. And when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to start to get behind the aircraft. And when this happens, if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gain is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized 
that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic, again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read, so for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons, you can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices, have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos, or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.